politicians struggle to enact the things they run on, that regardless of who wins elections, lawmakers find that they cannot pass whatever legislation they like. They find themselves bound by what is popular, or at least their sense of it. They can only act within a narrow set of ideas, and that range is called the Overton Window. And on the Overton Window podcast, we look at issues around the country and talk to the people who change what is politically possible. One such issue is school choice. The movement to expand educational freedom has made incremental progress over the years. But this past year, there has been so much success in the movement that 2023 has been dubbed the year of school choice. States that passed school choice programs in 2023 include Iowa, Utah, Arkansas, Florida, Oklahoma, Ohio, South Carolina, Indiana, Nebraska, and Montana. This incredible momentum is giving parents a greater voice in how their kids are educated. Today, I am joined by John England, who is the Education Policy Analyst at Libertas Institute in Utah. Libertas is a nonprofit think tank, and its mission is to change hearts, minds, and laws to build a freer society by creating and implementing innovative policy reforms and exceptional educational resources. At Libertas, John plays an important role in developing policies that shape Utah's education landscape and promote educational freedom for Utah's families. John, welcome. Molly, thank you so much for having me on. Of course. So John, Utah was the third state in the nation and the second state this year after Iowa to enact a universal school choice program, the Utah Fits All Scholarship. The passing of this legislation is so exciting for the school choice movement. So tell me about this scholarship program and how it works. Yeah, and I'll be honest, we were a little disappointed to be the second one this year. We wanted to be the first one, but you know, Iowa started their legislative session sooner than we did. So, you know, what can I say? We're, we were second this year, and uh, but it, it's a long time coming. Uh, policies like these sometimes take a lot of time, but uh, the Utah Fits All is an education spending account. So what that means is that the parents can take the state-directed portion of the money and, sh- and use that in their child's education. So they can use it to pay for private school tuition. They can use it to pay for things like things you would typically think of with homeschooling or something that I think is really exciting is an unbundled education, meaning that maybe they're going to a private school for maybe math and language arts classes, but then they're going out and getting a private tutor for music classes, and maybe they join a ninja course like my son did for their PE credits or whatever it is. And so that's what I think where the power of these policies come in is the ability to really individualize the education for children and it leads to amazing innovations across the country, I think. Yeah, absolutely. So it is universal. So does that mean that means that every student is eligible? Is that right? Yes, that's correct. It is a universal program. So every student in Utah is eligible to apply for this. Uh, We are limited on funding. So there will probably only be able to fund about 5,000 students. Uh, We're working on that. And uh, we, we hope to expand that soon. But uh, the other thing is, is that we do give preference to low income, although that it's not a limiting factor. It's just a preference for low income. You don't have to be a certain income. Uh, all incomes are allowed to use it. Gotcha. 
So you mentioned that you are looking to expand access soon. You know, how does that work? You know, how, how are you able to reduce those barriers and actually be able to um, expand access to, to more students in Utah? Well, and that's something where we have to work with the legislature. You know, we find friendly legislators who are also interested in this topic. We help them with a lot of the research. That's, that's the job of a think tank, uh, as you know, working with at the Mackinac Center. Uh, that that is something that we we just do is we, we work with them we talk about the different policies and we get friendly ones who want to help uh, see this expanded the other thing that we have to do is we work on a grassroots level so we have some grassroots members of our group uh, specifically for the Utah fits all there's a group called the Utah education fits all group and they are working with parents and trying to help them talk to their legislators as well who would be interested in this and, and show a need for the expansion. Uh, legislators don't want to expand something that's not being used. They want to expand something that is successful and build on that success. And so we're trying to help them see that that this will be a successful program. And so that's some of the things that we're doing. Gotcha. Very cool. So at Libertas and um, in your role, John, you know what what role did you play in, I would say, initially gaining support for this program and in passing legislation that made it possible for Utah. Yeah, and that's something that we worked on, I think, over the years. So I didn't join Libertas until 2022, uh, but our executive vice president, Michael Melendez, he's been working on this issue since 2015, uh, maybe even before that, uh, but I know at least since then. And so in 2021, no, 2020, we passed a special needs education spending account. And so that kind of let, that success led to this idea to expand it universally. And so it was small wins along the way. Um, Libertas has a lot of really good relationships with the legislators. We work with a variety of legislators on a variety of topics. And so because we're, they know that we are straight shooters, we tell them what we think. And if they don't like it, they can disagree with us. If they do like it, great. And, and we just work with them that way. And so those are, that's where the power of like relationships come in into the politics side of anything is, is being able to know your legislator. So any citizen can do this, uh, but we, we do it for interested citizens here in Utah. Mm -hmm. And this is a you know, great example of shifting the Overton window to um, you know, something that is possible once as it's kind of an incremental implementation of the program you said with special needs, and now you're gradually expanding it to more and more students. So, you know, great, great example of the Overton window at work. So, you know, and now I think Arizona did that as well, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. they, they were the first ones to pass this universal ESA idea. And it's because they've had so many school choice programs passed along the way. Um, they were the first ones to pass any type of ESA back in 2011, right? And so mm -hmm. that, that expansion obviously continues throughout, and, and Utah is taking a very similar uh, path forward. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, the more states that adopt these programs, the more you know, these possibilities expand to, to other states. And uh, you know, um, as states such as Utah are providing these models of, of what can work, for other states um, like Michigan, hopefully someday as well. So speaking of more, you know, long-term implementation of these programs, what how do you make how do you make sure that a program 
like uh, the Utah Fits All Scholarship is sustainable for the long term that, you know, as many families as possible are going to be able to access these funds. Well, I think school choice has, has two sides, right? You have the parent side and allowing them to choose the education for them. But in order to choose the best education for their child, they also have to have choices, right? They have to have providers there to you, um, where the parents can use their funds. And I think that's something that we're also working on. So one of the things that we're doing is we're trying to create a environment within the city governments that allow education innovators, uh, kind of like the work that Carrie McDonald is doing with uh, SPN, how they are trying to establish this environment where innovators can come in, they can create a new model and try and attract parents to come there and, and really individualize the education that way. And so we're working on both sides of that. We're trying to help parents be aware of their choices that they have. And we're also trying to help innovators create new choices uh, through some of our work here at Libertas. We, we just are organizing a Education Innovators Association. Uh, it's not officially organized yet, but that's something that we're working on and something we're trying to do that we can expand and then maybe help ship to other states as it goes. You know, that whole idea that Google has of nail it, then scale it. We're trying to do that with this uh, micro schools or education innovators association that we can turn around and expand. And this, is this the, the micro school association that you're referring to? It is. So uh, we, we have had a micro schools association. We started calling it that, but we decided that micro schools itself is its own little box and we didn't want to limit it to just a box. There's so many cool, innovative education models out there that, you probably wouldn't classify as a school at all. Mm -hmm. And so that's the thing that we really wanted to do. And that's why we called it the, the Utah Education Innovators Association. So that okay. there's all kinds of different innovative models that can be part of this movement. Uh, yeah, that's fantastic. So, so you talk about the supply side and just how important that is, because I think we're seeing as these programs are being adopted so quickly, you know, we might be a little bit behind in being able to provide enough options for parents, you know, making sure there is enough supply to meet the increasing demand. So that work that you're doing um, in building this association is, is so important. Can you, you know, speaking of these different types of models, can you, you know, talk a little bit about just some examples of these different types of innovative models? We mentioned micro schools, but just how, how they might be characterized, how they might be different than the conventional you know, schooling models that most people are very accustomed to? Yeah, and I, I'll be honest, I, I came from that very traditional view of, of education. I'm a former public elementary teacher and principal, and so I actually used to think of myself as an innovative teacher, you know, but I realized I was walking around with blinders on. And uh, then I got out and I started looking around. When I got started working with Libertas, I realized that there are some amazing models out there. For example, my own personal children go to a model that uh, they only go to school three days a week. Um, the fourth day, they, they do call a school day, but they give them so much to read. So it kind of combines this idea of like um, of a classical education involved with that. And they're reading a whole lot of books. And so that fourth day is considered a school day because they have so much to read. And then Friday is just a day off, right? And so that's one model that I've seen. There's another model that is here in Utah, uh, just north of Salt Lake in Clearfield, Utah, that is a two-day-a-week model. And parents send their kids there for 
specifically for like science and history things that maybe you want a group of kids there and then the rest of the time the, the parents are providing education at home and it, it's kind of this homeschooling model uh, i was in atlanta and i went to a, a company called moonrise and he's created what he calls an edu a, a co-education space or a co-learning space modeled after a co-working space where parents can come in and they can drop off their children. They, they want to homeschool, but maybe they have appointments that they need to go to. And so they can come in and they can drop off their children at this model. So, so many different innovative models that I'm seeing out there that are out there. Uh, there's a family who is starting a, or a group that's starting a wilderness school. So they plan on being outside 80% of the time, maybe 90% of the time and doing all their learning outside. That's, that's not something that I would have ever dreamed of as a public school teacher or principal. Um, there's a, uh, my, one of my favorites actually is the guy, he focuses on, it's called Breakout School, and he focuses on students with autism and ADD. And he does things that allows them to be active. And those students with autism that get so hyper-focused, he lets them hyper-focus and become experts in those areas. And so these types of things, the traditional model doesn't really do a good job of, of teaching kids with autism or ADD. And mm -hmm. so he's focused this model around that. And that's mm -hmm. just some of these innovative models that are coming out and that can really individualize for the children. Yeah, that is so amazing. So, yeah. so through your work with uh, you know, this, the association, um, you are helping to, you said with education entrepreneurs and innovators to be able to... Uh, to network and to be able to establish right these these different types of models. So, how can you give me uh, some examples of how you are able to help them? I know that they do encounter you know, different types of barriers. Uh, you know, different states they might encounter different barriers. But you know, what type of work do you do to to help them to overcome those barriers so they can be successful? So one of the biggest barriers that uh, they run into, at least in local government, comes down to zoning and occupancy rules, right? Mm -hmm. So a, somebody wants to start a, a new innovative model, and maybe it's a really, maybe it looks more like tutoring than it does like schooling, but cities don't know how to classify these cities. It doesn't fit into the established boxes for them. And so we're working on policies at the state that would say, hey, Anybody who has one of these innovative education models, you have to permit them. You have to allow them to be in your city because, unfortunately, some of the, the stories that I've heard here in Utah, you know, the, the freest and most, uh, you know, business-friendly state in, in the nation or one of, right, they, they're being restricted. They're saying, oh, we don't allow private schools in our city. Sorry, you can't be here. Or if you are here, you have to be in this busy strip mall along this really busy highway, places that you probably wouldn't want a school. And so we're working on uh, you know, allowing them to be permitted in all zones. We're working on reducing the educational occupancy uh, in some way, may, maybe allowing it to be a business occupancy as, a as opposed to a education occupancy. Mm -hmm. um, and some cities don't even allow them to be a home-based one. You know, if I wanted to start a school with seven kids out of my basement, I would have to go and get the city's permission and they have to approve it, and they can say no. They can say, no, that will impact our neighborhood too much. You can't do that. And so 
we were working to say, no, you have to allow these things to be in your cities and to exist. And that way they can reduce those barriers to entry into education innovation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that, that is such important work because, you know, again, in order to make sure that there are enough options, that there is a supply of these different types of models to meet all the different learning needs that are out there, then we you know, have to do what we can to make sure that um, these different models are able to start up and expand. So really important work that you're doing there. And I'm going to shift the conversation a little bit. Um, you know, the, we talked about the conventional school system and uh, versus these innovative models that are popping up. But, you know, the conventional system is so ingrained in the fabric of our nation and, and what we're used to that this idea of these, you know, unconventional, out-of-system, flexible, innovative learning models is really a bit outside of the Overton window, you know, so it seems. So... You know, how is how is your work shifting people's ideas of what school can look like? You know, how are you working to shift the Overton window to make these innovative learning models seem more acceptable, um, a more acceptable model of education for Utah's families? And that's where our 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 theme of uh, changing hearts, minds and laws, it goes in that order. We have to change hearts to move the Overton window and then we can change people's minds and then change people's, then we can change the laws to match what everybody expects to happen, right? And so part of my job is I go out and I look for the stories of these innovative wow. models, and I find the parents and why they chose those models for their children. Because uh, the, the truth is, is that parents want different things from education. Uh, when I was a kid growing up, my mom wanted it for me to be able to provide a living for myself. Others want their parent, their children to be well-rounded and get uh, a taste of everything around them, right? Others want them to prepare them for college and higher education and maybe even a business or whatever. Those are the types of things that parents want. And the truth is, is you can't be a all things to all people. No business can. And the public education is trying to do that. And so being able to provide these uh, stories of different models and why they're being chosen helps to change people's hearts and then they can maybe make those decisions themselves. Uh, I have parents who reach out to me and, and ask me like, okay, I want to do something different. Where should I start? And so being able to connect them with resources of where they can even go start learning about some of these innovative models is something that is really important to my work here in Utah as well. And so we really want to just promote and, and let people know these things exist. There's parents choosing them, and they're choosing them for really good reasons, and it might fit one of your children. And so that's, that's really how we're trying to shift the Overton window in regards to these innovative models. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and what do you think? I know that, uh, you know, the, there can be different barriers in different states. Um, and in Utah, you've done a great job identifying some of, some of those. But, you know, as a nation or in other states, you know, perhaps like Michigan, what can be done to um, help shift the Overton window and make these different types of models a more viable option for families in um, you know, Michigan or other states as well? Yeah, and I think that you actually have there in Michigan, in Detroit, one of the models that, like, I just love. And I can't remember, Engage New Detroit, that was the one I was mm-hmm. thinking of. Yes. I love that model. Um, I cannot remember her name. Uh, 
Bernita Bradley. Yep, Bernita Bradley. Her <laughs> story of how she started Engage Detroit, and she is helping uh, low-income single parents be able to homeschool their children. Like that's her innovative education model. Like that's so amazing to me. Like that's the idea of like that. That really breaks a lot of the barriers, right? There's a lot of thoughts out there that um, people who homeschool are all middle class or upper class people, right? They they come from middle incomes, higher income families, but that's mm -hmm. not true. There are low income families who are homeschooling and they do it on their time, right? Maybe mom or dad are working during the day, and so they do school in the evening. Uh, and maybe they're working through a co-op or maybe they're working with a group like Engage Detroit to provide education for their children that fits their child, uh, that is different than the public model. And so being able to find those stories, I think, is one of the biggest ways that you can change people's hearts and minds. Shift that Overton window. Um, I think sometimes we think, oh, if we pass ESAs and that's the only way to get school choice. That is one way to get school choice is passing a bill like that. The other is to work with the providers and the people who are already doing that and making it easier and building a community that can then turn around and say to the government as well, like, hey, we exist. We're providing something useful that people want. Help us out here. And, and that's another way of doing it. You see it in places like New Jersey is a thriving place where you have a lot of innovative models showing up, even though uh, politically, New Jersey probably isn't ripe for a education choice bill to be passed, right? They're, they're unlikely to be passing an ESA anytime soon. But because the demand is there from parents, these innovative models are, are popping up. And so that's some things that you can work on separately um, on, on either side. You can work on the supply side. You can work on the demand side. But both will help change people's minds about what education choice is. Mm, okay. In the Utah Fits All Scholarship, that does allow, um, that does cover expenses that could be used by models like Engage Detroit, right, to cover homeschooling expenses and, and those other, t is that correct? Yes, that's absolutely mm -hmm. right. And so mm -hmm. just like any ESA, it can be used, like I said, for private school tuition. It can be used for homeschooling models. It can be used to unbundle meaning that you're you're picking and choosing from different providers and that is absolutely the model that we have out there and being able to keep that as free and letting the parents make those decisions that's the best way to mm -hmm. uh the best model we can have policy-wise mm -hmm. is letting the parents really decide how they want their children educated and let them choose that mm -hmm. yes absolutely um, but, you know, since in some states uh, where it's like Michigan, where it's, you know, we don't currently have education savings accounts or vouchers. So it's it's not, um, you know, we're not at a point where those are going to be available just yet. Uh, but we do have what's called, um, as you're aware, an open enrollment program. So in Michigan, it's it's our public school choice program called Schools of Choice. So this is also an important form of school choice. And I know that, that Utah has a really strong uh, public school choice or open enrollment program as well. And, and um, I've read that it's considered one of the best in the country. So can you tell us about that? You know, what, what makes a good open enrollment program, you know, especially for those states where that might not be able to adopt private school choice just yet? Yeah, it, it's definitely a great step is, you know, if you're going to allow for 
choice. It means you do need to allow for choice within the public system as well. And that's exactly what open enrollment means is that, you know, I as a parent can go to the, uh, Maybe, maybe the local neighborhood school, I, for some reason, doesn't work. Maybe I need a school that's closer to where I work because I need to pick my kids up and the daycare is right there close by um, for after school care, right? That might be a reason for, for school choices. Excuse me. And so one of the reasons that we, that open enrollment is, is good that way is because parents can still choose. They can be like, hey, I need to go to you know, school B that's really close to where I work so I can easily pick them up and drop them off in the morning because my work hours don't work out with the school hours which are shorter than my work hours right a lot of parents need to drop their kids off at 7 a.m. well school doesn't start until 8 9 o'clock sometimes right for elementary age students and they need to work until 5 p.m. well schools get done at 3 30 or 4 p.m. those elementary schools and so they need a place that's close by and so they can go and drop them off and so that that's one mm-hmm. of the reasons to have that being able to choose, it just makes everything better, right? Mm-hmm. If a pro- public school has to compete, even with other public schools, they're going to do what they can to make it better. They might provide before and after school care to attract students to make sure that their school keeps going. And the districts will compete with one another as well. And so all of those models is really where the free market comes into place, right? Is this idea of uh, just public school uh, like just choice itself, the market itself. Mm-hmm. And, and you know what makes Utah's open enrollment program such a strong one? Would you say it? It, it and the thing that makes Utah's is that you can go and choose any school. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. Whether it's across district lines, you have to be able to go and and choose other schools. You, yeah. The the school has to accept the the student. Mm-hmm. Got it. Okay. So, John, how does it feel to be leading the charge to promote educational freedom <laughs> there in Utah? You're doing yeah. such great work. Yeah, it's good. I've, I've loved the change. It, like I said, it is a change for me, and 2022 is when I started. And so I've really, really enjoyed this change um, that in, in being able to work with parents and really, in, in my mind of why I got into public education and why I went into education was to help students learn. Right. And I started off as a public school teacher Then I became a principal because I thought I could help more students. And now I'm working with Libertas because I realized that allowing parents to choose is really what's going to help students learn the best. And so I love this change and it's been great. Been a great change. Mm -hmm. Terrific. And you've had such a successful year there in Utah. So what's next for Utah? Where does it go from here? So. Like I said earlier, we are going to make sure that we have a large demand for our ESA program. We want to make sure that parents are using that and that it gets maxed out as quickly as possible so we can go to the legislature and say, hey, look, we need to expand this successful program that you created. So that, that will be one thing that we're going to be working on. The other thing that we're really working on is those those zoning and occupancy rules that uh, that are really inhibiting innovative models from getting established. So those are the two main focuses that I have in my in my job here at Libertas. Mm-hmm. And do you have any advice, you know, for other states? I know you've talked a little bit um, about this earlier, but you know, any final words of advice for other states that are desiring to shift the Overton window and adopt school choice programs that might be similar to Utah's? 
Yeah, I I think you need to find the sto- the stories. Stories are what drive any legislation. You have to find those stories of families that need school choice, the ones who have successfully chosen something different, and and be able to share those. Those are the, the big things. And if you're a parent and you're really interested in this, working with groups like the Mackinac Center in Michigan, like I think that would be such an amazing uh, thing, being able to partner with them. Because legislature, legislators, at least in Utah, they know what where Libertas is and where they stand, but they want to hear from their constituents. They want to know, oh, my constituents want this. And that is what's going to change a legislator's mind because they just want to get reelected. That's their whole goal. And so if they know a lot of their le- their constituents are interested in a certain bill, a lot of times they will change their mind. And so it's really being able to make sure that they understand where you stand and, and being able to develop those relationships with your own personal legislator if, if uh, you're a parent or private individual those those are really powerful in in changing any law mm-hmm. great advice so well john thank you so much for coming on to talk about school choice in utah and good luck in your efforts to shift the overton window thank you thank you mm-hmm. for having me on my pleasure